From the Uncork Studios of Corkscrew Shores in sunny Southwest Florida, you're listening to another episode of M&M Uncorked. This is Astero's premier podcast for community news, upcoming events, relevant topics, and fascinating life stories from some of our very own Corkscrew Shores residents. Now, here's Dan Mountney and Frank Materko. Wow, what an intro, Frank. How about that, huh? That's the first time I've ever heard that said on air. I am very, very impressed with that, <laughs> really. Well, that was a professional. That was my friend Chuck Gatigan did that. And I, hopefully, that's going to be the new voice of our podcast for the, all the intros going forward. Wait, we're replacing you? No, 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 oh, no, no. Okay. Just the intro. Oh, man. My contract <laughs> says they can't replace you with my, without my okay. No, no. We, we both have good job security, I hope. We'll see how long that lasts, though. Hey, did you notice that our um, our listenership has gone up in the last couple of episodes? I have. You've kept me uh, very well informed on that. And I just want to add, there's a particular reason, in my opinion, why that's happened. Mm-hmm. The last time we did the podcast, you made a nice introduction of my me. Use a lot of words, four or five <laughs> syllable words. I looked them up. I, didn't, I don't believe you really meant that. But let me just show you if I can introduce you just for a moment. Mm-hmm. Having been associated with Dan on the podcast since last summer, I am very qualified to describe him in the following manner Dan is an energetic, compelling, and cogent broadcaster. Yes, cogent. Who not only has a compelling and robust voice, but also a commanding and effectual interview ability. Dan, I'll let those listeners know that's who you really are. Have you been playing with your thesaurus again? Uh, yes, I have. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, Frank. You're welcome. You're welcome. Hey, but I did want to mention last time Eric Jackson was our guest, and uh, we were kidding on the podcast. Uh, you said something about for the three or four people who listen to us, and he said he's been stopped constantly as he walks around the neighborhood. He does twelve to seventeen miles a day. And he said people were stopping him all over the place. Wow. I heard your podcast, heard the story, loved what you said, and, and just a fascinating interview last time. And we had more people to listen to that particular podcast than we ever had in the history of Eminem Uncorked. I think we need to take it to the next level with Eric. We get him a sign that says Eminem Podcast. Let him walk around with that sign for 12 to 17 miles. How about a sandwich board? Well, let's not get over We're limited on our funding. I told you that before. You can't go crazy with the money. All right. That's great. I'll I talk to that. Eric. Thank you, Eric. I appreciate that. Really. No, he's, he's a great guy. Hey, let's talk about what we're uh, going to cover today. This is a, a kind of a little bit different topic. We're going to focus on finding your life purpose. Big, big topic. Um, but I've noticed over the years since I've been in Corkshire Shores, I walk around and, and talk to different folks. Uh, many of them are retired currently. And I'll ask them, how's it going in retirement? And they'll say, um, okay, enjoying it, but you know, kind of kind of bored a little bit, a little bit restless. They're trying to find out, you know, what do I do in this next act or season of life? And then other people say, oh, I'm, I'm doing fine. I'm playing pickleball, I'm golfing, I'm staying really busy. But even then, sometimes there's a, a little bit of a void. They, they, something's missing in their lives. And even for people who are still working, they might say the same thing. You know, everybody's looking for this sense of purpose and fulfillment and accomplishment in their life, whether they know it or not. I think mm-hmm. that's what a lot of people are searching for. So we're going to cover that today. And we have two special guests with us, Frank. 
Talk to me. All right. Our good friend Chuck Gatica, who just did the great <laughs> intro, former TV weatherman, colleague of mine for many, many years. Uh, we'll uh, introduce Chuck more formally in just a minute. And, and then also Mona Hartley is with us, and she is a trained uh, therapist. And more recently, she's started a uh, grief support group here in Corkshire Shores. So I'm really anxious to hear about how that's going. And then we're quite, kind of going to turn the tables uh, a little bit. We have two other special guests, Frank. Do you know who they are? No, no idea. Help me out here. You and me. Wow. We're going we're gonna to have Chuck moderate this next section, and then uh, he's going to interview you and I for some of the things that we've done in kind of a volunteer purpose uh, sort of driven aspect of our lives. So he's going to pull out our inner feelings and we're going to expose them to all the residents and car screw and wherever else they're listening. Frank, you have feelings? <laughs> I, can't, <Hi-oh. laughs> I can't wait to meet Chuck. <laughs> right. uh, the moderator. All right, right now we have one more duty for you, though. Uh, Frank's Corner is our, our regular segment here on the podcast. What do you got in the corner this week, Frank? Thank you, Dan. Uh, just a couple, three quick topics. Number one, just a quick update on the young lady that was I don't know, a couple months ago, Deb Whipple. She uh, is the one of the uh, people that handles the uh, Ryan case for smiles, making pillowcases awesome. for kids with cancer. Uh, they deliver to uh, Golisano uh, Hospital, for example, and they're looking to bring out a couple other new areas to deliver to. But basically, they held a uh, function back here about two weeks ago, and a little quick set of numbers. They had 36 women showed up. They were there for a total of six hours, all the women. They put out about 200, I'm sorry, they put out about 670 pillowcases. That is, they, they uh, sewed them, they put them together, they set them out to be washed, ironed, dried, and all that. An outstanding job by these ladies. This is the kind of people we have in our community. And the ladies that were there came from, uh, obviously, our community, Preserve at Estero, and Grandiza. So I want to just give an update. They're really, really doing a great job. That's, that's one of yeah. the best things we have going in our community. And these pillowcases, I, I just wish I could see the kids when they get these pillowcases presented. My wife smiles. Susan was there yeah. and I walked in. I mean, they're making like Spider-Man fabric. It, it's really fun stuff. And it was just extraordinary effort. Yeah. You, know, yeah. Yeah, so you have to not sew. So any ladies, they'll do it periodically. Uh, just get a hold of Dead Whipple if you'd like to help out. I'm sure she'd appreciate it. Moving on quickly, uh, for those of you that don't know that live under a rock, we had the B Street Band here uh, about 10 days ago or so. Uh, they're the, obviously, tribute band to Bruce Springsteen's E Street Band. Uh, we had about 150 people there. It was sold out. Awesome. Uh, everybody had a great time. The band played for about two hours and 45 minutes. And uh, I want to give a shout out to Tracy and Neil Lennock, residents here. They are the ones that kind of brought them out here, uh, convinced them, why don't you come out and play here? And by God, they did it. And uh, I want to just give a shout to some residents. They went out of their way to do something special for the community, getting a real nice high-profile band. This band, by the way, has been in existence since 1980. They played over 5,500 concerts, so they're not a run-of-the-mill band. Yeah, very good band. So thanks, Tracy and Neil. And finally, surprise at the very end of the podcast, Dan. Yeah, I know. That's right. I've been up all night working on this, and I've got a special signature memento to hand out to the guests starting today and on our future podcast, and I'm bearing the brunt of this financial burden. I heard about this. Awesome. Back well, to you, Dan. So they have to wait till the end of the podcast yeah, to find so out Yeah, so you got to stick is. around here with this. This is a one-off. You won't believe it. Our guests have to stick around, too, to get that. Yeah, really. They're getting the signature memento. All right. Awesome. Hey, um, uh, Chuck Gadega and I have been friends and colleagues for 
my goodness, how many years do you think it's oh, been? It's decades, right? <laughs> Seriously. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. yeah. We both worked at WDIV-TV, uh, the NBC affiliate up in Detroit, Michigan. Uh, I was a news guy, and Chuck was the weather guy there for how many years were you at the station? I was there full-time 27 <clears throat> years and then part-time for uh, another three or so. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, and you were just one of the most extraordinary weathermen. I mean, people loved you in Detroit. They still know you and recognize you all over the place. And um, even down here in Southwest Florida, you guys moved. You and Susan moved down here uh, part time, uh, part of the year. Yeah. Uh, to Corkscrew Shores, which is just awesome that you. Well, ended it up was here. part of your deal. You know, yeah. we were looking, and uh, this goes back three seasons now. This is our third season, and and uh, Dan said you've got to come have lunch on the lake at the captain's club and we were both sitting there it was like oh my gosh yeah this is it yeah so thanks to you yeah no it's it's been awesome um loved uh it's been fun reconnecting with you after uh, uh quite a few years and um, you and susan um uh, i did want to ask you though because on a first couple of episodes we had frank do the forecast for us oh yeah and he totally botched it and did he uh, really yeah, yeah he doesn't realize how much work and science goes into forecasting so I was going to ask you before we dive into the topic. Sure. Can you give us kind of a forecast for uh, for the, the, this area? Uh, well, sunny mid eighties. <laughs> that's really that's, that's pretty much what you said. By next right? week, sunny near ninety. <laughs> I'm, I'm a little taken back by the remark by Mr. Mountney, but like I say, if I find the right person to partner with, Chuck, uh, I think we can take this to a much higher level. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah. Keep, keep trying. All right, thanks, Frank. Um, all right, let's switch gears. Let's talk about uh, finding your purpose. I did want to mention that you have a lot of, as does Mona, you have a lot of credentials uh, in this area. You really know what you're talking about. And uh, why don't you share a little <laughs> bit about your journey and then also um, what you're doing in terms of sure. helping other people find their purpose. So I left full-time TV news and like Dan's story, I went on staff at a church and did that for a couple of years. And in the process, I got to meet some people from the Halftime Institute back in my early to mid-40s. I read this book by a guy named Bob Buford. It was called Halftime, Moving Your Life from Success to Significance. And it really resonated with me. I was kind of at the top of my game in TV and radio and no need to leave. And yet I was feeling what Bob Buford talks about, and you kind of touched on it, Dan, at the beginning, what he's phrased a smoldering discontent can linger underneath the surface. And not just for people who retire, even when you have a full-time career. So I read the book put it back on the bookshelf and came back in about five years into it, read it again, and it spoke to me in a little different way because my context was changing. Started to get a plan, went back and got a master's at age 50, uh, went through the Halftime Institute. They're based in Dallas. They didn't have uh, a schedule that matched, so I flew out to Pepperdine University in Malibu. Somebody had to go. And uh, so I had three days of intense training and a year of coaching, finding my purpose and passion in my halftime. That's his phrase for what is your second half. So to be fair for anybody, uh, you know, whether you're 55, 60, the math doesn't work. I don't have another second half. I wish I did because I love life. But whether you look, view it as a, a last quarter, uh, second half, however you view it, Buford has a really in, a number of interesting quotes. And one of the best is, the key to a successful half is not a change of jobs, it's a change of heart. It's a change in the way that you look at the world and you order your life. And that resonated with me. And so I, I walked off the plank of my full-time career mm -hmm. and 
for me, it was a matter of how can I serve? It was kind of the number one thing. So for a lot of people, that's, that's manifests itself in different ways. And I think that's part of the struggle often, you know. So that's kind of my story. And, you know, went back for a master's at 50. Uh, you know, I'm a slow learner. So I'm probably on track to get my PhD at 90. And it's okay, you know, because I love learning. You mentioned the whole idea of halftime, and I read that book, and that was yeah. instrumental for me also. But for a lot of people, it's it's not so much um, a numerical time, halftime. Sure. It's more of a mindset, as you said. It can happen in your 20s, your 30s, yeah. your 40s, your 50s, your 90s. If it's, if it's a shift in mindset, like what I'm about, what am I about, and how do I want to spend my life, and how can I serve other people? And how about in today's world where... Even my kids, I've got five kids, all millennials. My daughter and son-in-law who were just here with our new grandson, both of them have gotten new jobs. So they've swung from one branch to another. They're 30-ish and they're reconnoitering their life. Yeah. So you're right. This is not about you're old or you're retired. This is kind of the way the world is working now. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, how about it? Why don't we bring Mona in? <laughs> yeah. Chuck, why don't you have at it? Well, Mona Hartley is with us and you are a clinical psychologist. What do you consider yourself? Uh, Psychotherapist? I'm a, I'm a licensed mental health counselor. Okay. Well, you're in good company because you saw how we <laughs> operate, so you know we need some help. But this is something you have now watched in your own life, right? You've, you've, you've got your own journey, as we all do. And then you also work with a lot of people, you said women, who are trying to find, are they trying to find purpose in their life? How would you say you're, you're working with some of your clients without going too deep and too far into the privacy? Well, there's so many different stories, and I've been doing this for over 30 years, mm. so that's a hard question to answer in a small amount of time. But mm. you bring up something interesting, Chuck and Dan, which is to look at your life in a different way. And mm -hmm. I focus on cognitive behavioral therapy, so I use that model to help um, my patients to understand what their thoughts that they don't like having and how to change them. And when you change your thoughts and perspective, you change the way you feel. Hmm. Um, so I use um, the clinical book and I give out homework exercises. And I've been very successful in helping people change the way they look at things and then change the way they feel so that they can help have more self-confidence, self-esteem, and then to look for their purpose. So there's the professional side of Mona Hartley. And then personally, you've also gone on your own journey of establishing something right here at Corkscrew Shores, right? That helps other people. The grief support group? Yeah. Yes. Um, I came across that um, while I was in Bible study in December. And they were talking about trying to launch the grief group. And I, Dan... For a while, you you all were talking about it. Yeah, we we saw a need, um, frankly, because you have people who have had significant loss uh, with a spouse or other things, um, and and we also talked about people going through divorce because that's a that's a part of grieving as well. So I don't know what it's been a couple of months now since you got mm. this going. Correct. Uh, so when I heard this, um, I raised my hand without even thinking, and I felt that was <laughs> that was God. Yeah. Talking through me. And I volunteered my time and my um, my experience in bereavement and grief. And I have run groups in the past. So um, I had some help and they launched it, put in the newsletter. And we've been running it through January and now through February. So we've had about six uh, groups. 
Um, some vary. Had three or four uh, attend uh, last week. There were ten. So mm. we don't know how many are going yeah. to be there, but the smaller ones are more intimate. The larger ones um, are uh, go fast. <laughs> but what I've been finding my reward in this is um, that people are coming back and there is a need. And if it's helping them, that that feels really good to be able to do that for others. That's yeah, why I got in the field. I want to double back to that in a minute about that feeling that you can get from serving other people, right? And uh, let's get to Frank because you can give us a snapshot of your story as well about, uh, you know, how you wound your way to the service that you've been involved in. Sure, I'll give you a quick, uh, yeah. quick synopsis. Basically, uh, when I left college, I hired in a Ford Motor Company. I worked there for about 32 years, uh, primarily in quality engineering and in manufacturing operations. Uh, I got to travel quite a bit uh, over the around the world. I spent six years of that 32 years living and working in Malaysia and China. And that was for purposes of setting up a new uh, manufacturing operation in Malaysia and helping do joint ventures and uh, acquisitions and mergers uh, for three years in China. Uh, when I completed that, I came back to the United States. Uh, and after about a couple of years, I decided I was gonna retire, I was 53. Uh, pretty young, but I also had a plan to start my own consulting company. So I did that for about seven years. I worked with uh, what we call tier one, top of the line auto mm -hmm. suppliers to Ford and GM, uh, and uh, did that uh, both domestically and I also did it in Europe and uh, Belgium. I worked over there on contract consulting assignments. Left there and uh, retired into Savannah, Georgia, played a lot of golf, ran out of golf balls, and I said, mm -hmm. you know, I got to find something else. Coincidentally, I went back to work for a couple of years with a private firm doing lean manufacturing, process improvement. Uh, did that for two years and I said, eh, I'm going back to golfing. Mm -hmm. Went back to golfing and I said, yeah, lost more balls. So I decided to take up something called uh, an arbitrator, a juvenile arbitrator in South Carolina, in Aiken. And basically that's a program that is run uh, for, for first time offenders uh, between the ages of 11 and 17. And you as a juvenile arbitrator, you hear the case with the victim, with the police and what have you. And because they're a first-time offender, you give them a chance to make retribution. So we listen to it, and we normally give them several sanctions. It might be volunteer work, 40 hours. It might be you're going to tour a, a jail facility, a medium security penitentiary with me chaperoning you. And you kind of mentor them through the whole program. So you give them a chance to see there's other courses to go down wow. rather than that one. And it's a real rewarding program. You get about 25 to 30 cases a year. You're responsible from beginning to end for those kids. And you stay in contact uh, with the, the families involved and what have you. So I got a lot of satisfaction out of that. And then we moved here about seven years ago to Corkscrew. And uh, I'm in one of the uh, review committees. It's called a hearing committee. So I get to hear some of the difficult things that come up. So it's been a, a great success. But it took me a long time to find out that I really like to be involved helping people with the experience I've had and working with Ford and, and working around people and uh, knowing that you're as good as the people that work with you and for you. So I kind of like to make that part of my, uh, my challenge going forward. Hmm. And Dan, your story is uh, not similar, but you also have a, a connection in terms of prison ministry. Talk mm -hmm. about your story out of TV news. Yeah, it, it's uh, in, in many ways, Chuck, I'm on my third half time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't yeah. know if the, the fractions are a little bit off, but I, I did the anchoring, reporting, and all that for about 20-some years. And then it was in my 40s. Um, I kind of started looking around, and I thought, man, 
there's got to be something a little bit more. I had had a great career, I had a lot of success, and met fascinating people and traveled all over the place um, and covered just about every story I could possibly want to cover. And I was getting restless. And um, I read the same book, Halftime. And I thought, my goodness, I, I, there's got to be something else. And I transitioned at that point into church work, of all things. Never dreamed in a million years I'd work at a church. And I was on staff at this church called Kensington Church, a large non-denominational uh, church in, um, in Troy, Michigan. And I worked there doing uh, video work. And I produced documentaries, essentially, traveled around uh, Africa, talking about people drilling wells. We had partners over there. We talked about people with disabilities uh, in, in uh, what was that, Egypt, uh, recon reconciliation between Arabs and Jews in uh, the West Bank. I mean, a lot of interesting stuff. And then we would just do stories, kind of God stories, about how people have turned their lives around and mm -hmm. people have struggled with all kinds of difficulty and issues and challenges. And um, we would document those. So I did that for a long period of time. And then I officially retired, I guess, some years ago. And then I segued into prison work, of all things. And um, I teach a class at DeSoto Correctional Facility up in um, near Arcadia. It's about 75 miles from here. And uh, do a class with 15 guys. We've been at it, uh, this latest class, for about six months. Uh, we're doing something on personal growth right now, where we look into relationships, communications, um, uh, past uh, uh, reconciliation with um, anger management and uh, conflict resolution, all these kinds of things to give people the skills and, and the new way of thinking so that they're not going back uh, when they get out of here and get back mm -hmm. into prison six months later, which often happens. So it's just been fascinating. I love every minute of it. And um, I'm the one. I'm learning so much from these guys. And it's just been a real, a real thrill. I've been doing it for about six years now. It's, it's been awesome. So I think there's something that pops out to me in this process, which is we, we, we go through life, wherever you start to get this feeling in life that there's something different, there's something more to life, perhaps, more than golf balls, right? Um, we tend to focus on doing. I know I did. Mm -hmm. uh, do you feel that uh, focusing on doing is the best way to approach the second half of life? Because there's another part of it, which is, being right slowing down being in touch with people getting in the moment with your friends and your spouses if you're lucky enough to have your spouse with you um being in touch with your god you know what i mean that we tend to want to do 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 because that's kind of who we were for most of our lives do you see that in your practice is am i on a on a right track here mona that maybe we can concentrate sometimes on some of the quieter times, not just always what we're going to reinvent ourselves to do. That's a great subject. Mm. Like I said before, everybody's story is different. Um, so I think it depends on what your dynamic is, where you are in life, what is going on in your environment and your own personal growth. Mm -hmm. So it all depends on the stage of life that you're in um, and psychology which has always fascinated me, is about the stages that we go through. What do we accomplish or not accomplish? And what can we do in the future to help ourselves feel better about what we're thinking about and what we're doing? You're right. We seem to have this pressure, society, on us to be always doing something. Um, we do need to relax, I think, a little more. I think COVID helped us do that. Mm -hmm. 
I think a lot of people struggle, Mona, with um, being okay with doing nothing. Sometimes I think that's okay. I mean, mm -hmm. I struggle with that too. So if I'm sitting by the pool, reading a book or chilling, I shouldn't beat myself up for doing nothing. That's okay. That's that's the yeah, being chunk yeah. that you, you talked about. So, so a friend of mine told me to give yourself permission to do nothing, that that's okay. Yes. Now, if that's your full-time job doing nothing, you might, you know, that you might want to look at that. But, you know, I think there's a, there's a, some kind of um, balance between that and finding something that's going to give your yeah. soul life and, and joy and hopefully serve others in the process. And can you find that thing? That's a, you talk about, Frank, your journey, and it took years, right, to kind of wind your way through this thread of life. Uh, my my son-in-law's uh, cousin in Washington, D.C., is a young woman in her 30s. And she recently said something about the fact that her grandfather taught her a phrase that she lives by to this day, and he taught her to uh, find something to care about and give a damn. And I, I heard that quote, and I thought, that's an interesting way to try to find your purpose. How do we find the thing? And for many of us, and I would put myself in this, I my heart breaks for so many different things that I tend to have my hand in different worlds, and it kind of fits me, because I, I think I'd get bored if I were just on one train track. But I think trying to find that thing that gets you into a, a position of passion, finding your purpose, is not always easy. And we've got to give ourselves some grace, right, that we may, ha it may take a year or two. <laughs> you know, it's, we think it's going to take a week. At least I do. Did well, you what I found is, uh, having, after I retired, I played a lot of golf yeah. and uh, a little bit of a fishing in that for about six years and then went back to work for a couple of years and I said, yeah, I don't really need to be back at work. I work pretty well off and my wife and I have been married 62 years this December. So we did a lot of stuff together. When I came to South Carolina, it found me. The dual arbitration uh, mediation program found mm. me. And I just heard that and I thought, wow, it was from one of my golf bikes. So I said, I want to get involved with this. And they, they, they put you through like about 40 to 50 hours of intensive training. You do background checks. And I'm going, gee, this is going to be a lot more than I really yeah. expected to. I loved every minute of it. And you could see from beginning to end what's going on with the young kids you're involved with, both men and women, you know. And uh, that was very gratifying to me. About 90-some percent of the people uh, never were repeat offenders, at least in the short time I was involved with yeah. the program. So we had a very high success rate, but it was because they were being mentored the whole way through, you know. So it just it kind of found me. I didn't find it. And your your experience with prison ministries, did it find you or did you a light bulb go off in your head? How did that happen? Because that doesn't seem like running from television news through documentaries at a big box church gets you to prison ministry. There was somebody um, in our church that was leading it. Okay. And I thought, that sounds interesting. Because I, being a reporter for all those years, I mean, I covered a lot of courtroom stuff. And I've seen more than my share of defendants come in and people being locked up and horrible tragedies that were committed. And uh, I don't know why it's, it's, it's not for everybody. I have to say that, but there was something that engaged with my heart mm. where I felt, boy, these guys are behind bars and they just lock them up and society forgets about them. Nobody thinks about these. Yeah. And there was a biblical reference that we're supposed to visit the, those in prison. And that, that weighed on my mind a little bit. But somebody told me that there was a list of um, people who were awaiting visitors at this one prison when I was up in Michigan. And they said there were 500 people 
waiting for somebody to come mm. visit them. Wow. And then I went for the first time and uh, I walked into the, the visitor's room and this guy comes down. He was one of the guys on the list and he, he starts looking around the room and I, you know, I introduced myself and I said, well, what are you looking at? He said, well, I've never been down here before uh, in the visitor's room. Uh, I've been in prison 25 years. You're the first person that's ever visited wow. me. Oh my. And, and my heart just sunk. I, I mean, I was, I was flattened. I thought, and in right in that moment, I thought, this is what I need to be about. Yeah, this, yeah. this, this can make a difference. And so I would, it started out as visiting prisoners and I visited as many as I could. And then when I came down to Florida and that wasn't an option and, um, prison fellowship, this organization, um, I reached out to them and they said, well, we could use somebody to teach a class, a couple of classes, which was not at all what I had in mind. But now that I've done it, um, I just love it. And like I said, it's 75 miles away. So I'm driving up there and each week it's like, oh gosh, I got to drive all the way up there through all these orange groves and uh, two lane roadways that are just a, a mess. Um, but when I get there and I do the class and then I leave the place, my mind is just spinning. And because I've learned so many things, so many stories, and you hear these backgrounds that would just, it just breaks you when you mm. see how people, you know, it, it, they don't commit these crimes in a vacuum. I and mean, very often it's, it's their backgrounds that contribute to a lot of, a series of bad decisions that they make. Um, so I, I, even though they've done terrible, terrible things, it's a maximum security prison. I, I still have compassion for them on a human being level. And, and I want to help them. They, they care about, they, they regret what they did. Um, they're looking to turn their lives around. And, and those of us who do this have a chance to be kind of a cog in the wheel that helps them get there. So Mona, Dan is, uh, is kind of teeing up this next idea of what do we get from helping and serving other people? What do you get from creating uh, this outreach to people who are divorced or in, in grief for various reasons. What are you getting from it? And why is it good that you actually may feel better? Yeah, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but how, yeah, how do you feel <laughs> when you do this? You know, what are you getting from it? Well, like I said, I felt that it was a calling. So yeah. I believe I'm doing what... Um, I believe in God and I believe in prayer and I believe God is, works through me for purpose as well. So I followed, I followed that. I followed the guidance of what my conscience was saying to help others that were in need. I was hearing there was a need. I really enjoy helping people. Mm -hmm. It does give me gratification. But now that you asked that question, I haven't really thought about the answer. So quickly answering that, I would say I am meeting a lot of people and hearing their stories in the community that I wouldn't have otherwise probably have met um, and seeing them come back and open up more every week. Yeah. And I give out homework assignments and people are doing the homework assignments and people are talking more and more every week we go. So I feel we're growing as a group together. Um, and as long as people are coming, it, it makes me feel good to show up. Do you guys, uh, do all of you feel that when you're doing what you've done in your second half, whichever part of this journey you're on, do you feel the time just kind of disappears while you're doing it? Has that been a component that you've been able to look back on and say, you know, I could sit 
with guys in the prison ministry or in, in grief counseling, and it, it's like, oh my gosh, it's three hours and I've got to go. Have you found that time just kind of evaporates when you're doing what you've done? Is that a component to why maybe you feel like you're in a groove with it? Anyone? Well, yeah, okay, I'll answer. Uh, at least from the juvenile arbitration end, I mean, it felt like I was accomplishing something in yeah. the community. And uh, when you would see these kids come in and the victim would be there and the, usually the parents would not be there. It would be maybe one parent, maybe the other. Usually the grandparents were there because the parents were gone, okay? And you look at that and you say, gee, what can I do to show this young girl or young guy there's a better way to go and not doing this mischief stuff that they're doing? And so it was pretty serious, but because it wasn't considered uh, a, a felony type thing, they could have the one shot with the juvenile arbitrator. So I felt that if I could just get them on the right path, and it wasn't just me, but it was the help of the community and where we sent them to, anger management classes like what I was mm -hmm. talking about and stuff like that, the mental health help sometimes, uh, gave me just a purpose rather than just yeah. beating a golf ball around into a sand trap and into the water, okay? So I felt a lot better about that. And I would like to do more of that here, but I would rather just keep it focused within the community by helping out with the advisory committees and stuff like that, if asked. You know, I think a lot of people have so much experience that it doesn't even occur to them that they have gifts and skills and experience that, that they can apply in some other area that hasn't confronted them just yet. Mm -hmm. So so I look back at my own journey as, as, as a journalist, right? So I, I do interviews. I know how to do that. Um, I, I, I can manage discussions because I, I did that with leading small group studies for, for many years. Uh, and I worked with, with men, with men's studies before. And you look at the preponderance of your life experience, and, and, and I'll be in the middle of a class up at the prison. I think, oh, my goodness, this is, I'm, I'm made to do this at this point in my life. And, and, and this may be the most important thing I've done with my life in some ways because I've been prepared for this. And I, I think that's true of everybody. Everybody has life experience under their belt that might apply in a specific area that they haven't tapped into yet. And that's one thing I want to, maybe we could bring up, Chuck, is just, you know, what are next steps for, for people? Where do you go from here if you're so, finding this gnawing feeling in your gut? I think what you have to do is give yourself some permissions, right? I think uh, being able to dream again is mm, important. Good. Some of this quiet time that we have, um, I don't think anyone who could be listening to this needs anyone in this room to give them permission that they can dream bigger dreams because it's never too late to be who you are designed to be. And sometimes we don't figure that out until, you know, for me as a type A guy, I want to like Tuesday, yeah. tell me next week what to do. And uh, the inputs aren't always there for me to get that way. Uh, I think that's important. And I think there's a wellness component. Uh, so I'm a lifelong learner by test as well. So last year, while I was here in Corkscrew, I got trained as a Mayo Clinic wellness coach. Very interesting credential. But I look at a lot of what you are all saying, keeping your mind sharp, having, you're, you're saying your mind is spinning, you're mm -hmm. thinking about it, you're serving other people, the feeling you're getting back, the gratitude you may have for being able to do it. And I just think that sometimes we, um, we don't assign highest value to the wellness component of how well we will feel when we can get into something and find a flow, you know. So there's a book written by Steve Harvey. Uh, it's called Jump. And it's an interesting book. And I've seen a lot of people, and, I, and I'm included again. I'm not disassociating myself. How do you start something? You've got to begin it. 
And oftentimes we sit and we think and we think and we think and we don't start it. Well, you can't start it if you don't begin. And Harvey kind of says in, ma in many ways, I'm paraphrasing obviously, if you're at the edge of the cliff or you're standing on the edge of the pool, which makes more sense in Corkscrew Shores, you need to jump. You need to do something that gets you to the point where you take a leap. Bob Buford would call it small cost probes. And I like that idea that if you think you want it to go to um, Africa and dig wells, maybe you should try it out before you commit to join the organization. Or you think you want to give, you want to help people give blood, and you go find out that you pass out when you see blood. Not a good thing. <laughs> so Buford would say, maybe you don't change your life or jump in the deep end of the pool. Maybe you dip your toe in the water here and there, and you you get a couple small cost probes going. One other thing that has been very helpful for me and some of the men that I've talked to is creating a, uh, a kitchen cabinet, a mm. small group of trusted friends, in this case could be neighbors, could be my counselor, uh, could be your pastor, could be anyone who you trust, who you can say, this is something I'm going to do. And someone will speak truth to you and say, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard, or let me walk with you and encourage you. But to throw out your idea so someone can say, you know, but what if you just did it a little differently? Or, you know, that may cost some money for Frank's, whatever gifts we're getting, I'm really excited. Um, <laughs> you know, let me pitch in money to help you accomplish your dream. So I think having some people who you can really share with in, in open, honest conversation is helpful. So kind of going through this process of understanding, it's not a, it's like the stock market. It's up and down and up and down, but you just want the inclination to be going up. Moni, do you have any uh, final thoughts on, on any of this for people who are going through the process? Um, what, what would you suggest for them? In Encouragement. Where can you find encouragement? I'm hearing a common theme and thread here that um, it's important that we find our purpose. But what if there's an obstacle in the way, mm. um, such as mental health illness or physical illness? Mm -hmm. How can you overcome that in order to find your purpose in doing what all of you men are doing, which is wonderful to hear. This is all new news to me. I think it's great you're all giving your time and your backgrounds and your education and intelligence to helping others. And not everybody has that ability to do that. So I'm grateful for all of your commitments. Um, and I'm grateful that I'm, I have the ability to help as well. But not everybody has that. So how to overcome that in order to be able to do what we're, we're all doing here today, which is continuing to try. Hmm. Love some feedback on that. I know we don't have a lot of time. I, I like that idea because it's also... Um it's not all in the big things. I, I've had to temper myself that I had to come out of my TV news career and, and I had to do something bigger, grander, mm. because maybe that's the way I thought it should be. And then you, you led this podcast, Frank, with talking about the ladies sewing and, and some husbands were there helping collect that's the pillowcases, yeah. right? Yeah. And I just think I'm not, I'm not belittling the effort because it turned into a grand effort, but they just really enjoyed themselves and it wasn't something big that changed all of Southwest Florida. So temper yourself to find a way to uh, know that not everybody is going to find some grand significance, but you can still feel like you're, you're a cog in the wheel. Well, I just like to say also that Demona, I don't think I could do what you're doing. I mean, that sounds like a real tough area. Uh, you're talking to yeah. people that are grieving and or, or divorced or what have you. That's just really tough. So, yeah. I mean, I, I think, 
we're lucky to have someone like you living in a community that's volunteering to do that. I really appreciate that Thank on you. behalf of the residents. Thank yeah, you. you know, it's funny you, you mentioned about little things. I, our friend John Richardson said mm -hmm. um, recently that his purpose <laughs> is pouring into his grandchildren, mm. meeting with yeah. them regularly and uh, helping them grow into fine young men and women. So it, it can be all kinds of things. Sure. Like you said, dream. Just start the process, and that puts you on your journey. Uh, I'm going to wrap things up. Um, but okay. this, you talked about time flying. It sure has flown by here the last however many minutes we've, we've been at this. Um, but thank you so much, uh, Mona. I just love what you're doing. And, and um, uh, unfortunately, it's a service we're going to be needing more and more in this community with the, with the Grief Share um, support group. So I wish you great success with that. If anybody wants to find out more, they can find out up at the office or reach out to myself or Frank, and we'll, we'll point you toward Mona. Um, at, oh, excuse me. Yeah. It's in the newsletter. Uh, so it's every Thursday night at 630. <clears throat> I, um, I have everybody's phone number and emails if I have to cancel. But and where, where do you meet? We meet at the clubhouse. In that back room. Yeah, the you, small dining room there. The small yeah. dining room past the large room. Hmm. All right, Thurs, Thursdays in, at 6.30. The right, Thursday at 6.30. So if you're alone and you're suffering <clears throat> from loss of a loved one, uh, whether it be a spouse or you're going through a breakup or a divorce, that's been the, the theme of the group. Uh, please join us. Awesome. Thank you so much, Mona. Thank you. Thank you, Chuck. Um, so glad Thank that you, you could be yeah. with us today, uh, especially bringing your vocal gifts as our new staff announcers. <laughs> <laughs> announcer. That's awesome. And Frank, um, you have a special gift for our guest today. Thank you, Dan. I never thought you'd get to the prime part of <laughs> However, yeah. Thank you, Chuck. Thank yeah. you, Mona. And thank you, Dan, for showing up for your seventh possible broadcast. But no, seriously. I w we were thinking that we have to come up with something like a, a signature memento of being on air with us, so to speak. Okay. And uh, the, the new cars that we had ordered are not coming, apparently. <laughs> I, I felt the Rolls Royce and the Bentley would be perfect for you, too. In lieu of that, something that when you see this and you go to chew on it, you're going to think of us. And because you're the first ones to receive this, I'm going to give you each two boxes. Yes. A wow. Plain, plain M&M candy. That's why wow. I look at this. This is this Mona. Is, this My favorite is, sock. Are you lucky? This is it. You've got our. We had especially done. This is the pre-Easter edition. See the little bunny. Ear, <laughs> see the little bunny ears on that little M and M. By the way, pastel. Remember, it melts in your mouth, not, not in, in your hand. hand. Right. Yeah. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Wasn't that fun, Frank, listening to all of that? That was really interesting. Highly educational. I thought Chuck did an outstanding job uh, handing the moderation part. And I thought Mona really uh, knows her stuff with all the experience she has. So I learned a lot just by listening to those two go at it. Hopefully people who uh, listened to us today, um, it gave them something to think about. And um, as they kind of go on their own journeys and, and on this subject, I want to give a couple of resources that Chuck passed along to me. Uh, one is his own uh, website because he has a lot of uh, news and information on that. So go to Chuck at ChuckGatica.com and Gatica is spelled G-A-I. D-I-C-A. AARP also has a pretty good resource. They started something new in the last issue I saw called Purposeful. So just go to their site and click on Purposeful. Uh, the halftime book that Chuck referenced, uh, they have the halftimeinstitute.org. 
And then finally, there's a group called Encore Boomers. Encore Boomers for folks who want to kind of reinvent themselves a little bit later in life. So anyway, that, that's it for uh, this episode of M&M Uncorked. Um, if you uh, enjoyed what you listened to today, feel free to pass the link on to somebody else who might benefit from, from this subject. As always, want to thank Jim Badris. Uh, really, Jim, could not do this. I mean that without you. I mean, you're putting a lot of work uh, to pull this together with the audio and the tech and the IT and all that. So uh, thanks again for all that you do. And uh, Frank, my partner, appreciate you. I know we tease a lot, but uh, I'm sure grateful to have you on board. I'm impressed we can fit the entire sound engineering department on one chair here in our <laughs> tightly knit studio. Thanks. He fits and he does an awesome job. So thanks everybody for listening and we will see you next time on Eminem on Court. <laughs>